Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. We have Chandra, a fellow Shiro, on today's episode. In 2020, 13 years after her first marriage ended in abandonment and betrayal trauma, and two years after emancipating herself from a second marriage in which her second husband repeated many of the traumatizing secret sexual behaviors and abuses that occurred in her first marriage, Chandra had a powerful experience while meditating that led to the decision to finally speak out and share her betrayal trauma recovery story. Silenced by a request from her faith community's clergy to keep her first husband's indiscretions quiet, by the desire to protect her children and by the victim blaming that seems to plague partners of abusers, sex addicts, Chandra is now on a mission to speak out and help other women make the shift they need to break out of the abuse cycle, find truth, safety, peace, and the beautiful life we all deserve. Chandra is a Shiro, a mother of four children. She's a professional mechanical engineer, which is awesome, a certified instructor at the Academy of Culinary Nutrition, a running enthusiast. She happens to be a Boston Marathon finisher, so good job there. She's a yoga lover, and she's now been happily married for three years to a healthy, kind, humble man. Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, Chandra. Thank you, Anne. Our stories, Chandra, that's where do we even start, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So because you have, I would say, a, your own story, which is one complete story of your experience, but your story includes two marriages. Let's start with the first marriage. How old were you when you met him? And did you recognize that you were experiencing abuse at first? I met my first husband when I was about 17, and we started dating then. He was known for having a girl in every city. And when he, air quotes, chose me, I felt like I had uh, won the lottery. You know, he was a very charismatic, outgoing person, and I wasn't so much. And so what I didn't recognize early stages was that he, um, he was a bit of a womanizer, and loved that attention from other women and he was really love bombing me a lot at first and but I didn't recognize that's what that was I felt like I really enjoyed the attention that I got from him and his prolific uh, love letters and professions of love it was very intoxicating right 
So that's kind of how things started. And I didn't really see any red flags early on. Right before we got married, he did actually go on a mission trip, a two-year mission trip for our church. And um, right before he left, he gave me a little promise ring and said, when I come back, we're going to get married. And we'd been dating for about six months when he left. And I was really excited about that. I thought that's going to be awesome. And I think I'd like to wait for this person because I was very in love with him. And while he was away for those two years, he wrote me a lot of love letters. And to the point that I started thinking, this guy's not getting any work done on his mission. He just writes me letters and they're full of all these professions of love. And when he returned, we basically got married within less than a year. We were both uh, 21 at the time. So it was a little, you know, I was a little young and I was still in university. And um, the thing was a couple of days before we got married, he told me something that he had just realized. He told me he had just realized that he remembered that he had been sexually abused when he was five by a foster child that was living in his family home. And I remember at the time thinking to myself, oh boy, you know, what kind of can of worms is this going to turn out to be? And if he's just realizing this, you know, it sounds like something we're going to have to deal with during the marriage because he hasn't obviously dealt with it up to this point. So I was expecting, you know, some issues. And I was aware also he had, you know, confessed to me that during his teenage years, now he had made some air quotes mistakes if you're thinking about what the standards of our church was, he'd, he'd had some indiscretions and had sorted all of that out, but he never really wanted to get into any details with me about what was involved with that. So, you know, I saved myself for marriage. And as far as I knew, he had as well. And that was sort of how we were raised. And he checked all the boxes. He had, he had all the right things when it came to a marriage partner, even though we were very young. I didn't expect to run into any problems and I know that everybody really liked him in my family and everyone was really excited about our, uh, our marriage. And, and, uh, so we got married and basically the first time I really became aware that I could have a problem in my marriage was when my oldest daughter was 18 months old and my younger sister had actually just passed away. And he decided that was a good time to tell me that he, had been actually developing a relationship with someone else at work. And I remember reflecting on this later, why I responded this way, but I immediately thought that it was something to do with me, that I was not good enough. And um, I was in school and we had a baby and it was, it was a rough time. Like we were tired and we didn't have a lot of money. And I thought, oh, you know, all the pressures of getting our lives off the ground, it's been too much for him. And so I thought, oh, I've got to make life better for him and I've got to fix this and maybe I'm not good enough. And I basically spent the rest of the marriage trying to be the perfect wife and just getting angrier and angrier as I noticed red flags popping up. I noticed he would lie to me about small things, about money. I could see him flirting with other women and he became more and more deceptive and withdrawn and never really emotionally connected with me or opened up to me. And I, I sort of always had this thing in the back of my mind thinking, oh, well, you know, he was sexually abused when he was five. And I, I kept like trying to get him to address it. Do you think now that that was true? 
I actually do. The reason I believe, believe it is because his sister, who is a wonderful person, she was also sexually abused by the same person. So his story was corroborated by her experience. Okay. The reason I ask that is my ex has a story about how he was sexually abused by a neighbor. And I am convinced now, although I have no proof and there's no way of knowing, that he actually abused the neighbor is what I think really happened. So he wanted to share that for some reason to maybe make me feel sorry for him or, you know, I don't know what, elicit something. But I think that if it is at all true that he was the one that did the abusing. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because I remember uh, gathering that over the years after my ex-husband had had that happen to him when he was young, that he became sort of some strange things came out in his own behavior around his cousins as he got older. And, you know, I understood later on that he got into porn at a relatively young age, probably also because of all of that. But he may have become a bit of a perpetrator himself at a very young age, but I don't have all the details on that. So I'm not exactly sure what happened. Real quick before a response, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there, but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. Because so many of us, when we begin our experience with our abuser, they tell us some story that we kind of hold on to, right? And I have learned to actually question that story, whether or not it was the exact opposite of the story they told, like they were the perpetrator, or alternatively, that it didn't happen at all. And I'm not saying that with your ex because it was corroborated by a sister. But in some cases, I feel like they just make stuff up to make people feel sorry for them or to elicit pity. And they kind of ride off of that. And that's sort of how they get away with a lot of things. So that's, that's why I asked that. Yeah. Well, I think that's all part of their desire to control the narrative. And as I get into my story more, I do definitely have some examples of how he did that kind of thing, making it about about him and telling me things that were not true to control the narrative and what I was experiencing. So it was, I mean, very confusing to be around someone doing that. The first time I really had any inkling that I was in something that might be abusive in terms of a relationship was when we were living in this neighborhood. I had three children at the time and was just, I think I was pregnant with my uh, fourth and my last child. And there was a lady that moved into the neighborhood. She was a single mom and she was separated from her husband and she had three children and she needed a lot of help. Like I, I remember befriending her and having her over with her kids and talking to her and doing things for her. I would watch her kids sometimes. And at Christmas time, she didn't have a lot of money and we were doing reasonably well. So you know, I went out and I actually bought some gifts for her kids and took them over to them and invited them for Christmas dinner. You know, like she was in my life. And I think at some point we actually invited her out to church with us and she was sitting behind us in the pew with her kids. And the bishop in our uh, congregation at the time actually came to my 
ex-husband after the mating and warned him and said to him, I think you need to be careful of that woman that you brought to church. And what I didn't know at the time was that he was fooling around with her. I don't know the extent of what was happening, but I was starting to feel kind of strange about the situation. And I, I went to visit a friend of mine my closest friend at the time, and she was uh, actually married to his best friend at the time. And I was talking to them and mentioned the situation. And her husband, my friend's husband, his best friend said to me, you don't know everything about him, you know. And I thought, what? What does he mean by that? And I, I went home and that was the first thing I asked him was, what's going on with this neighbor woman? And I think at the time she'd actually moved out of the neighborhood and he told me that he and her had become friends and they were working on a business together and she had this really great business idea and he had this pattern of always starting businesses. I don't know why, but he just loved to start businesses and sometimes he would make a bunch of money and then he would spend it all or he would lose it all and it was kind of this cyclical behavior that he had and so he was starting a business with her. He told me that she had basically attacked him and that he was the one that had taken the high road and said, there's all these people we need to think about. We can't have this happen. There's all these children and my wife. And he was trying to make himself look like he was the good guy and that he stopped it. And at the same time, she's coming. He's not cutting off contact with her. No, no. You know, and I still don't know if he completely cut it off, but she wasn't living in the neighborhood anymore. And I honestly don't know what happened after that. But the interesting thing is, though, when my when my friend's husband told me that I didn't know everything about him, he actually was not talking about this woman. He was talking about something else that I knew nothing about. Wow. He was talking about uh, how my ex-husband had been going to strip clubs. And that he was aware of his uh, friend, my husband, going to strip clubs. And I knew nothing about that until many years later when my husband did a big disclosure dump on me right before he left. So what bugs me about my friend's husband knowing that and not sharing that with me is feeling like there was someone else that knew about his destructive behaviors and was complicit in his abuse of me I was I was so upset by that later on you know just knowing that and why he didn't just flat out tell you yeah he was kind of being like oh well this is between you two and I'm gonna let you go home and talk to him about this and ask him yeah but he's al already been lying to you the whole time so right exactly why wouldn't he lie again the other question I have is with did you say it was the bishop that came over that said uh, I'd watch out for her yeah Okay, so in that case, I don't know if he knew what was going on or not, but why didn't he say watch out for your own husband? Well, he didn't talk to me. He talked to my husband. He said he thought this woman looked like she was, you know, he just had a funny feeling about the situation. And he said to my husband. And he assumed it was her rather than assuming it was him. He assumed it was her, not him. <sighs> he assumed my husband was innocent in the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I know, scary, huh? <laughs> That is super Nobody scary. said anything to me either. So I, I had no idea. But so, so what happened was I had a sister-in-law living in the same city as me at the same time. And we were close and I was just talking to her one day and I told her about all of this. And I said, oh, you know, this stuff happened and 
I was just kind of telling her and her reaction, she was so indignant. She was so upset about the whole thing. And her reaction actually shook me loose because I was kind of just going along like, yeah, this happened and it, it's not great. And I don't really know like what to do about it, but she was really upset about it. And I actually had a fight with him, I think that night or like later that week. And I brought it up again and I was like feeling like, so he was like telling me all these lies to cover up what was going on. But I, I had no proof that anything he was saying to me was true or not. And so I could feel that there was something wrong, but I had no proof. And I was upset. I went for a walk. I was like five months, six months pregnant. It's the middle of winter. I'm out walking for about an hour. And just the sum total of all the, the small lies and seeing him flirting with other women and all the things and all the bending over backwards I'd done to be the perfect wife so that he would be happy I just thought I need to get out of this relationship. I remember thinking that and just thinking, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. But I was pregnant. I had been out of school for six or seven years. I had no work experience and I was scared. I was also really afraid of how I would be treated by all the people, all the people putting pressure on us to succeed in our marriage, you know, the faith community, the families. I knew nobody would believe me because he was Mr. Charisma and everybody thought that he worshiped the ground I walked on. The way he behaved outwardly made it look like that. So I didn't think I could do anything at the time. And so I didn't, I didn't leave. I wish I had because being abandoned is a lot worse than getting the courage up to leave yourself. Mm. Do you feel like now that that was God telling you to leave? I mean, you you kind of mentioned that, but do you feel now that that's really what that was? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, you know, I believe in God and I'm a praying woman. And I can definitely see when I look back many, many situations where God was trying to help me move forward, get away from dangerous situations to protect me and help me, you know. I do see that. It's funny because God's telling us something. We can feel that. And yet religious scripting or maybe even our religious leaders are telling us to go against our own, the revelation God is giving us, right? Like we're thinking, no, we can't break our vows or our covenants, or we can't uh, quote unquote, break up our family or, you know, something like that. When God is directly telling us, you are not safe, you need to get to safety. And we, we, we don't have the words or the understanding or the knowledge to interpret it that way at the time, right? So I don't think it's our fault, but it's, it's just so hard to do what God wants us to do when the people who we feel like, I'm going to say, quote unquote, represent God on the earth, perhaps, you know, our minister or our pastor or our bishop or whatever, is telling us to do something different. It's, it's yeah. very confusing. It's very hard to overcome that. That's I agree with you. So that happened, that whole situation with that woman where, you know, and my sister-in-law, her reaction sort of woke me up. So I, I had my fourth child and something, we moved out of the city that we were living in at the time we moved away and he got laid off from work and an opportunity to take a job came up for me. And my youngest was three years old. And I had kind of planned to sort of get my career off the ground and start working towards, you know, becoming a professional engineer, what I'd been to school for. 
you know, when my kids were in school. So, you know, she was almost, my baby was almost there. And I thought, okay, I'll take this job and I'll start working. And so one day I was, I had borrowed his computer and I was doing a search for something. And uh, so somehow as I was searching, this uh, history came up. It basically said something like naked pictures of someone's name. And I recognized the name. It was actually the name of a coworker of his. I'm so glad it was almost near the end of the day because I could not even function. Like I just lost my mind. I mean, you know, the stress reaction, fight or flight, my heart started beating and I was like, oh my gosh, all these years. And, you know, I had, after I decided to stay in the marriage when I was pregnant with my youngest, I had kept doing what I was doing. I kept playing the part and wearing the mask with him because I didn't know what else to do. And I kept trying to be the good wife and, you know, do all the things. And to see that, I realized it was just sort of the gig is up. Like I knew that I was with someone that was never going to change. Like I confronted him with it when he came to pick me up. I have never screamed at someone so loud in my life. It was just all the years and years and years of of pent up frustration and fear and anxiety and sadness and just all those feelings of not being good enough. And I just thought, this is ridiculous. So I discovered the porn and we went to see our clergy. I didn't find him abusive. He was supportive and suggested we start getting some counseling. Of course, like most people, they go for couples counseling as if it's a couple's problem, which it really isn't. I understand that now. But at the time, I didn't know better. And so we arranged for some counseling and somehow when we went to the first session, the person didn't show up and I'm not sure what happened with the scheduling, but I remember thinking to myself, okay, so this needs to be rescheduled. And I thought the only way I'm going to know that my husband cares about this relationship and actually wants to do something about this is if he makes the appointment. And so I stepped back and I said, okay, you need to make the next appointment. And get this all sorted out because this is on you right Uh, but nothing ever happened he didn't set up an appointment he did nothing and so we carried on for another year and so a year later I don't even know why suddenly he decided that we should buy a new house and the house we were living in had sort of two separate units to it I mean we were living in the house as if it was one house but There was a back area that you could rent and we decided to hang on to the house and rent it out. And so we bought this new house. This was in June of 2007. After the sale had gone through and we were just packing up and getting ready to move and we were going to be moving in a couple of months. And he was working on getting tenants for the house we were living in at the time. And he got a a tenant for the one main part of the house, but he hadn't gotten anybody for the back of the house. And he was acting really, really strangely. And this was in July. And there was something really wrong with him. I didn't know what it was. And I'd been reading a book called Fierce Conversations. And I thought I would put, you know, into practice something I'd learned in the book. And I asked him one night, I'm like, you know, I've noticed you're really, you're not yourself. I just said, are you okay? Is anything wrong? And he's like, well, nothing is wrong. And I said, well, what would be wrong if, if there was something wrong? Thinking I'm using my fantastic conversation skills. And he said, oh, well, I, I'm thinking of leaving. 
We're going to pause the conversation right here. Chandra and I are going to be talking the next few episodes, so stay tuned and make sure you join us next week. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on Support the BTR Podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.